Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Did you kill Mr. Boz, Mr. Amell? I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill somebody the way I described it in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. I'm not stupid. We know you're not stupid, Mr. Mel. Maybe that's what you're counting on to get you off the hook. Writing the book gives you an alibi. Yes, it does, doesn't it? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 167, Basic Instinct. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge hi and welcome to Verbal Diorama, to all of you brand new listeners to this podcast. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, regular or irregular returning listeners, whichever you are. Thank you for being here as well. Thank you for choosing this podcast because there are a lot of movie podcasts out there. There are a lot of movie podcasts vying for your ears. And no matter how you found this podcast, I'm so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Basic Instinct. And this episode's going to be quite spicy. This is the first erotic thriller that I've ever done on this podcast. And I'm delighted to welcome, for the first time in a long time, a guest to Verbal Diorama because... This month, the month of August, I'm doing something called August because you guys know that I love a bit of a bad pun. And he's someone I've been trying to get on this podcast for a long time. So he and I actually bonded during lockdown. Together, we and a group of like-minded souls watched really bad movies on Amazon Prime. This is a man who can wield an ice pick like no other. A man who likes rough edges and a podcaster who falls for the wrong guest appearance. It's Gally from the Rewind Movie Podcast. Hi, Gally. Hello, everyone. Hello, Em. How are you doing? <laughs> Thanks for... Um, Hi. I, I much prefer to be compared to Catherine than, than old shooter Curran, who, um, God bless him, <laughs> not the best detective in the world, is he? So, no, thank you for that. That's lovely. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you know, I kind of figured that you might like a very interestingly kind of basic instincty introduction 
Because this was a movie that you chose to do on Verbal Diorama. For everyone listening, it would be a really good opportunity to kind of say a little bit about yourself, because I know who you are, but maybe some of the listeners don't know who you are, so tell them a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the Rewind Movie Podcast. I will do. Thanks, Em. Hello, everyone. My name is Gally. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Rewind Movie Podcast, an award-winning film podcast, yes, my God, where former film students and industry insiders have in-depth discussions about films that shaped their passion for cinema whilst trying to reappraise them from a 2022 perspective. And that changes every year, Em, by the way. So... Yeah, when we started, it was 2018, and now we're in 2022. Madness, isn't it? I am from, originally, I was born in Stoke-on-Trent. I may as well go through the whole gambit, right, Em? They may as well know my entire life. (laughs) So I was born... Yeah, literally start when you were born, and then up to now. We've got plenty of time. Ah, Fantastic. So, yep, I was born in Stoke-on-Trent. My parents are Italian and Greek, but I was born in Stoke-on-Trent. But um, you know, if you can put a symbol in there, that'd be great. I I went and studied film in Leeds and then I worked in film and television for a few years. Uh, I left the industry for reasons, mainly down to the fact that uh, London is really expensive to live in. Uh, And and yeah, so I had to I had to kind of leave it. But then starting the podcast was like a way of kind of having that creative outlet. And, And ever since then, I've managed to, yeah. Get, get the gang involved who, who like I say, uh, most of them still work in the industry. And then I get guests and we've had you on the podcast. You did Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> which... Um, I did. That was an interesting discussion. <laughs> but <laughs> It always is with me, isn't absolutely. it? Let's be and honest. Then, and we, we bonded <laughs> over Twitter, which is, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? Normally a sash pool of, of hate and despair, but every now and again, you get a crumb of, of golden goodness. And and that was one of them, wasn't it? You know, our friendship was formed out of just. Uh, I don't even remember. Did I? You you. I think you added us to the film stories podcast recommendations, and then yeah. we just kind of struck it, struck it, just, struck it good. Just yeah, you know, just like I don't know. It was just like finding that like you know with all of you guys at the the rewind movie podcast. It's just been like literally like finding a uh, connection. Yeah, with with like all of you because you're all really cool guys and. You're all really knowledgeable as well about like film history and stuff like that. And I think I think that's why I love your podcast so much is that you do obviously talk a little bit about the history and and but it's mainly about how that movie kind of transcends sort of through your experiences of watching it like when you were younger, sort of to to like watching it now. And and honestly, your podcast is still one of my favourites. Still like constantly on my rotation. So you know, I have genuinely been trying to get you on for such a long time. And it's just been, you know, you've been busy, I've been busy. and But I've finally managed to do it now. And obviously your choice was Basic Instinct. Mm. And we can obviously talk about the reasons why that was your choice mm. and, you know, what your history is with that. But before we do, what I'll do is let's have a listen to the trailer for Basic Instinct. So we got 31 stab wounds. Or was it? Ice pick. I'd like to speak to a Miss Catherine Tremell, please. Is she a suspect? She's a writer. She published a novel. It's about a retired rock and roll star who gets murdered by his girlfriend. 
You know how she does the boyfriend? With an ice pick. She intended the book to be her alibi. You didn't feel anything for him. You just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning, he gave me a lot of pleasure. You like playing games? Games are fun. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. How's it feel to kill someone? You tell me. You're in over your head. She seduces people. She manipulates people. She's evil! I have nothing too high. You playing a game here? Games are over. After her rock star boyfriend is murdered, exactly how she described in her best-selling novel, clever and manipulative Catherine Trammell is brought in by detectives for questioning. But she is seemingly fascinated by Detective Nick Curran. He likewise becomes obsessed with Catherine and is convinced she killed her boyfriend, but the lust-filled cat-and-mouse game they start playing has consequences. They end up sleeping together, which enrages Catherine's lover Roxy, who tries to kill Nick. Then contradicting evidence becomes apparent. Maybe Catherine isn't guilty after all. Mm. Okay, let's quickly run through the cast. Michael Douglas as Detective Nick Curran. Sharon Stone as Catherine Trammell, George Zunza as Detective Gus Moran, Jean Triplehorn as Dr. Beth Garner, Dennis Arndt as Lieutenant Philip Walker, and Leilani Sorrell as Roxy Harding. Basic Instinct was written by Joe Esterhaus and directed by Paul Verhoeven. So let's go through a quick production history of Basic Instinct. Joe Esterhaus sold the spec script for Basic Instinct. It took him 13 days to write. He sold this for $3 million in 1990 and it was purchased by Mario Casar at Carroll Co. Esterhaus had worked as a police reporter for Cleveland's The Plain Dealer before becoming a screenwriter. And he modelled Nick Curran after a cop who simply enjoyed the excitement too much and was constantly involved in shootings. On one level, he was a brilliant cop, but you had the sneaking suspicion that he enjoyed his job too much. Catherine Trammell is also derived from a real person, this time a go-go dancer from Dayton, Ohio. And one evening, Esther House picked this person up and they basically had a very fun-filled conversation in his hotel room, upon which she pulled a gun on him. She ended up putting the gun down after a lengthy conversation with him and essentially he saw a really smart, really gutsy woman who was doing whatever she needed to do to survive. And so both of the main characters in Basic Instinct come from these two random real life characters. Michael Douglas would be paid $15 million to star in the film and he wanted a fellow A-list actress to work on the film with him to share some of the burden of the film. He suggested Kim Basinger for the role of Catherine Trammell, but she turned down the offer. He also suggested Meg Ryan, Greta Skarki and Julia Roberts, but all of them declined as well. Michelle Pfeiffer, Gina Davis, Kathleen Turner, Kelly Lynch, Ellen Barkin and Mariel Hemingway also all declined the role. Sharon Stone, who was ultimately chosen for the part, she'd previously collaborated with Verhoeven on Total Recall, but had been a relative unknown before the success of this movie. 
Stone referenced Kathleen Turner in Body Heat and Barbara Stanwyck in Double Indemnity as her inspirations for the role of Catherine Trammell. And while Michael Douglas got his $15 million, she received a mere $500,000 for the role. Now, Joe Esterhouse and Paul Verhoeven, they came to blows with regards to the script for the movie. And Esterhouse thought that Verhoeven was compromising his story. So there were some revisions proposed by Verhoeven, one of which contained a lesbian sex scene. And Esterhouse deemed this exploitative. So he and producer Erwin Winkler left the production after Verhoeven refused to compromise. On Verhoeven's recommendation, Gary Goldman was subsequently hired to rewrite the script a further four times. Verhoeven said his plans were undramatic and really stupid following the fourth revision. And so he called Esterhouse a few months later and they decided to go back to Esterhouse's original version of the script. And Verhoeven not only revised it back to Esterhouse's initial script, but also organised a news conference in support of it. So by the fifth version of this script, it had completely reverted back to Esterhouse's original script with only minor dialogue and visual alterations. For the movie, despite Goldman's work, Joe Esterhouse is credited as the only writer. This movie is rated R in the US and 18 here in the UK, but it was originally given an NC-17 rating for graphic depictions of extremely explicit violence, sexual content and strong language. Under pressure from Tristar and Carol Co, Verhoeven cut 35 to 40 seconds of the movie to gain that required R rating. Basic Instinct would go on to gross $352.9 million worldwide against a $49 million production budget, making it the ninth highest grossing domestic film of 1992. It has been copied, parodied and referenced multiple times over the years since its release 30 years ago. So, Gally, when you had a choice of... You literally had a choice of any movie in the whole entire world. Any film. Because I any film. gave you I a choice. I could have picked anything. Literally anything. And technically, you did pick something else first, and then you did change your mind. Originally, your choice was AI, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you changed your mind to basic instinct. So, I guess my question to you is, why? And how? <laughs> and what? Well, um, I, uh, well, firstly, I think AI, artificial intelligence, is a fantastic film. I, I don't know. Is that a controversial opinion? Uh, I'm not sure. I know that there's, you know, super Kubrick fans out there who believe that Spielberg ruined it and made it melodramatic and whatnot. But I genuinely think that the dystopian sci-fi era that Spielberg went through is his best era. That might be controversial uh, to some listeners. But I, then I thought to myself, you know what? Because um, I'm a big fan of your show. I think you are one of the one of the most giving podcasters out there but not just you know that, that that sounds like um you know kind of underhand compliment but genuinely um, <laughs> no, no, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a genuine way your show is so well researched if you want to know something about a movie and you also want to feel the thing that you can't feel when you go and research things these things yourself which is you know the passion the love and the enthusiasm then your show is just like a must so for me it is a must every time that you do a film that i've never seen or i haven't seen for a while i'm absolutely listening in because then you'll just pique my interest i looked at your catalog and thought you know what um you're missing the uh 
Well, uh, the BBFC certification of 18 plus. Not that you haven't done adult movies, but genuinely that makes it sound like this is uh, reductive. But I think that Basic Instinct is something that I'm always, I'm attracted to movies that not only are, are fantastic, you know, technically, but also encourage discussion. And I think Basic Instinct is exactly that. You know, rightly or wrongly, whether or not you think this movie is a good movie or a bad movie, you don't walk out of this and forget about it five minutes after. You definitely have a discussion. So I just thought, you know what? I really want to have a chat with you about this movie because I knew that this was out your wheelhouse and I'm genuinely (laughs) interested. Like, you know, we're, we're a podcast that unfortunately is for... For for dudes, I wish it. You know, uh, we're going to get you back on the show, but your perspective is something that we gravely miss. So that's why I thought, you know what, we'll do Basic Instinct because we've covered it on the show, but we never got that female perspective. So I, I'm interested to know what you think, as well as me trying to sell it to you and your listeners. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting thing because you're right. I would probably not choose to cover a movie like this on a normal episode. And I guess the main reason for that is, not that it's not got a very interesting history, because I think it has, but it it would just be something that I just wouldn't even consider, I wouldn't even think about. Because admittedly, I do lean towards movies that I really like or that I, you know, think that, deserve a little bit more of a critical reappraisal or something like this. Whereas a movie like Basic Instinct, to me, this is like the the wheelhouse of 90s erotic thrillers. This is like the 90s erotic thriller that everyone knows, everyone talks about. Every other movie that came out after it wanted to be this movie. Mm. And I think for me, I thought, well, you know, maybe loads of people have talked about this. I had a quick look because I was like, I wonder if the podcasts that I'm aware of, how many of them have actually talked about Basic Instinct? And obviously there was your podcast. Guilty. Guilty Uh, as charged. Put me in the cell, please. Basic Instinct. (laughs) It's a very good episode, by the way. There was only one other podcast that's kind of in my rotation that has covered this movie that I could find literally like 10 minutes before we sat down to record because I had a quick look because I was curious. I kind of thought to myself, well, maybe other podcasts really aren't talking about this movie. And maybe we should talk about this movie because this is actually a bit of a powerhouse of a movie for, for so many reasons. But I, I kind of wanted to ask you, I guess, like what what your history is with this movie. Like, I know you do briefly kind of go into it on, on your own episode about, you know, when you first watched the movie and everything like that. But did you watch this movie in its original sexier cut? Or did you, like me, watch the TV cut <laughs> with no sex and no violence? Well, I, I watched the I watched the original cut. Um, it was on Sky. And uh, unfortunately, well, I was fortunate enough uh, to be able to access Sky. And my father is, um, is full-blown Greek. Uh, is English. English is a second language. Movies to him are, you know, frivolous things that don't really mean 
a great deal and shouldn't have any kind of influence on a young growing boy so for him it was like well if you want to watch something you can just crack on don't worry about it so i watched basic instant when it you know probably maybe a couple of years after it came out way too young must i add but i'm also a huge michael douglas fan and i will explain my michael douglas fandom probably later on so so it's something i saw early and then you know transporting myself into my sort of teenage late teenage years going into film school in in leeds for me basic instinct is like the gateway drug to erotic thrillers yes that's obvious but also if you are somebody who struggles with films that are that are a bit older slower paced probably slightly still photography this is your gateway drug into hitchcock any of alfred hitchcock's oeuvre then just watch Basic Instinct because the references come thick and fast. So if you want a little bit of Vertigo, if you want a bit of The Fourth Man, or actually The Fourth Man's uh, someone else, but if you want uh, if you want Rear Window, then uh, then watch Basic Instinct because this is essentially a Hitchcock movie made by uh, a contemporary, well, at the time a contemporary filmmaker in Paul Verhoeven. You know, it starts with the opening credits. Sam, you must have noticed the. Uh, the Saul Bass opening credits, graphic design, Jerry Goldsmith music. And it doesn't stop there. You know, look at Catherine Trammell's costume design. Looks like Kim Novak, doesn't it? So yeah, there's there's lots of that. So that's my history with it. And and I picked it on the show, our show, because I know that one of my co-hosts, Devlin, is a sordid little soul. And Matt, who is our one of our other co-hosts, had never seen it. So it was one of those exciting moments when you could introduce a movie to somebody who had never seen it. And you knew that it was probably going to elicit a response. And it did. Mm, yeah. It's interesting because I don't think I've seen this movie since I was like maybe about 17. And I remember watching it on TV and it was one of the very heavily cut down TV versions with no graphic sex, like maybe a bit of kissing alluding to, you know, a bit of sex, but nothing like the full version that I managed to catch on Amazon Prime. And, you know, it's like, it was heavily cut. So when I watched it at the weekend just gone this time around, I mean, obviously it was quite a little bit, you know, more graphic than I remembered. But then I realised I didn't actually remember that much of the plot either, because, you know, none of us are 17 anymore. You know, it's shameful to say, but it's true. Because this movie is so well-known and infamous for certain scenes, I feel like those scenes have kind of overshadowed the movie quite a lot, Mm. sort of in the general lexicon of anyone talking about, you know, neo-noir thrillers, for example. They always kind of say, oh, Basic Instinct, it's the one with, you know, the opening of the legs. And that's kind of the only thing that ever gets talked about. But boy, is this movie so much more than just that one scene. Absolutely, yeah. And that's really what I want to talk to you about because I found it absolutely fascinating to rewatch the proper version <laughs> of this movie so many years later and just how intriguing it was, you know, from the point of view of it's so overshadowed by one scene that's basically become so immortalised in cinema history, so replicated and... It's a, it's a pop culture yeah, moment, isn't it, Em? Because uh, yeah. I remember, is it is it Deadpool? Does it? Is it is it the original? Yes. Deadpool? Well, I say the original yeah. Deadpool, <laughs> but 
you know, when you're dragging a pop culture reference from 1992, you know it's ubiquitous. But you're right, yeah. absolutely. And and actually, you know, one of the things that you know, I'm not clearly your audience is probably going to think, well, this guy's going to just say positive things. There are, you know, there are lots of problematic stuff within the movie, and it's not a, you know, it's not a 10 out of 10. However, it is more than just a gratuitous shot or a film with a series of sex scenes. I genuinely think that there is far more craftsmanship going on and there's far more to unpack. It's loaded, absolutely loaded with hot topic discussion points. Not to mention, you know, Michael Douglas's character is just fascinating. And then, you, you, you know, you're not even touching upon, you know, Catherine Trammell, who is... Yeah, in my opinion, she's up there with, you know, it's controversial, but she's up there with Ellen Ripley as far as strong female characters. You know, they, they don't necessarily always need to be heroes to be strong. She's she's a force of nature in this movie, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. It's interesting, actually, because as we're recording today, your podcast has actually just released an episode on Robocop. Yeah. Which was obviously the one of the preceding Paul Verhoeven movies. Mm. And obviously to this point you know, just before Basic Instinct, he'd obviously had a career like in Europe and he'd moved over to America. And But he'd obviously, he's mostly known for, at this point, Robocop and Total Recall, which probably are two of his best movies. And it's a very interesting shift, I think, to go from, you know, the futuristic satire, the Philip K. Dick of Total Recall, to go to something like Basic Instinct and obviously three years later to go to a movie that we watched together as part of the uh, <laughs> as part of the lockdown movie club that we did, Showgirls. Yeah, don't um, don't forget your tomato ketchup, Pam. Don't forget that. <laughs> I just find this movie really fascinating. You obviously mentioned earlier about Michael Douglas. So what is it about Michael Douglas that you love so much. Obviously, he's done quite a few erotic thrillers. Yeah, no, absolutely. In, in his in his career. But yeah, what is it about Michael Douglas for you? And and do you like the green V-neck sweater? <laughs> That's a very okay. important question. Well, let me, let me try and pull back some credibility. The V-neck is too deep. He's too old to pull that V-neck off. You know, that is something that only someone in their 20s with incredible pectorals could possibly pull off. And in that nightclub, I mean, really, he must be sweating. I mean, it looked like it was Marina Wool, which meant that he was very hot. So I would have suggested that that was a bad choice. Not to mention, I think he's wearing Levi's um, washed denim, which, you know, you talk about middle age alert. But, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> he basically looks like he's someone's dad come to pick up a- his Absolutely. Like, kid in the sexiest club possible, where everyone dances in a gyrating motion. Um, there's no way he's able to, you know, keep up with Roxy and Catherine in those jeans and that jumper. But yeah, I, in fact, I read a I read an interview in preparation for this. I didn't mention it on our show, but the costume designer even conceded that that the V neck was was a poor choice without a t shirt underneath. Her reasoning behind it was that she wanted Catherine to be able to touch him uh, and touch his skin uh, without, you know any barrier so it was a deep v and it very much is a deep v but anyway as far as my kind of like adoration for for michael douglas nepotism is alive and well in the film industry and it's not just in front of the camera 
you know, it's behind the camera as well. And I, I've seen that in my time working in, in film and television. Douglas has got like an A-list, a Hollywood A-lister for a father, Spartacus himself. And I love the fact that he decided to not take the easy route. You know, he could have easily become like a conventional leading man. But instead, is this only my opinion? But for me, he kind of shaped the way we see men and in particular toxic masculinity through the 80s and 90s. And I wondered if you kind of agreed with me on that one. If you think about his performances in something like Wall Street or Fatal Attraction in Basic Instinct and then subsequently in in Falling Down and then even going, you know, way into the 2000s, something like Wonder Boys, which uh, no one has ever seen but but me, and now Devlin, because I made him watch it for the show. No, I think he depicts different aspects of toxic masculinity without falling into the trappings of, like, villainy. It's way more nuanced than that. You know, he's got, like, a natural charm, a natural charisma, mm. which means that, weirdly, despite him playing these complicated characters that are deeply flawed... And that are deeply, you know, in most cases, he is in the wrong. You know, in this movie, he's a terrible detective. He treats Beth with contempt almost. It's a, you know, it's not a simple relationship. He's clearly an addict, you know, a sex addict, a drug addict, an addict in every sense. But we somehow fall into the traps of kind of rooting for him, despite him being, you know, our quote unquote hero. And I think that is more of an accurate depiction of the complications and contradictions at play with, you know, men and most importantly, kind of men who have, you know, power and influence and certainly in the 80s and 90s. So for me, it was like an easy trajectory to go from like a Michael Douglas to bum, 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 M, you're going to love this, to like a Keanu Reeves being a, <laughs> our, our kind of, our hero, you know, the... The Arnie's, it's not to say that I don't love Arnold, but your Arnie's and your Stallone's of the kind of powerhouse muscle bound 80s types, that transition, you know, as certainly me as a younger viewer, I found that, you know, I shouldn't have been watching those Douglas movies, but in a way it taught me like the trappings of, of being a, you know, a good guy, but secretly or not even secretly, nakedly, you're not really that good. And, you know, Douglas's character in this movie is is he a good guy and I, I wanted to ask you like do you think that are you rooting for Michael Douglas at the end like are you no me- <laughs> and that is exactly what should be happening but clearly audience members were were in on it you know look at the returns for this movie and you're right this is the zenith of uh erotic thrillers like I don't think it gets as big as this you can argue whether or not it gets as good but I don't think it gets as popular and as big. No. It's interesting that you mention, you know, the toxic masculinity and the underlying toxic masculinity of his characters. Because I recently did an episode on Romancing the Stone and the Jewel of the Nile. And I remember re-watching those movies because I love those movies. He's a jerk in uh, them, though, Especially Romancing he's the an, Stone. He's, a bit, he's an arse. But he, yeah, right. he, he is an absolute jerk. 
you know, when he's, when Kathleen Turner's character is basically like, oh, you know, I just need some help. Like, can you help me? And she basically offers him money. And, you know, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll do it for $500. And it's like $500 to take her to a phone box mm-hmm. or something ridiculous. I didn't mention it too much in the episode, to be honest, because it was only a short episode. But I do kind of understand what you're saying about there's like a gritty realism often to Michael Douglas and, and what he puts out in that he is expected to be this suave leading man you know this attractive man that all the women can swoon over and all of that but underneath that like underneath that layer there there does seem to be that kind of very typical like 80s macho you know you have to be strong you know you have to you know treat your woman mean to keep them keen kind of guy and it's quite interesting really because you know obviously you mentioned Keanu Reeves and I'm very glad that you did because he and the characters he portrays don't kind of go in for that and that's obviously I think more of like a modern sensibility when it comes to the portrayal of men in cinema but I just think it's really interesting that you've kind of picked up on the Michael Douglas of it all in this movie and obviously in his other movies as well because my main focus in this movie was never Michael Douglas Mm. Even though, like, he's first billed. And this is basically a movie that has been made on the power of his name and his name alone. Mm. And he obviously wanted someone to come on board to share that responsibility of this, you know, erotic thriller having, like, two big names on the poster. And it's literally his name and then a virtual unknown who, in my opinion, absolutely obliterates everyone else in this movie with... She steals the she steals the film, and in in fact, steal makes it sound like it was some kind of, you know, there was a theft at play. No, she is the you know I said a force of nature, and actually, one of the things that we always focus on on the show is character introductions, and I find that Catherine Tramell's introduction it couldn't be more apt. Like she's on a she's she's on like a, a balcony overlooking the the cliffs. And what's, what are the waves doing? They're smashing into the cliffs. Like, we know that when Douglas encounters Catherine Tramell at the start of this movie, he's in for choppy waters. You know, it's not particularly subtle, but my God. You know, she, she's just great in this. And a part of it is because she's so dangerous, like cold, calculated, beautiful. But everything she says, there is just a weight behind it and... You know, mm-hmm. you get the sense that she is always the smartest person in the room. And it's a it's a character attribute that I always apply to Lieutenant or Warrant Officer, depends on which movie. Ellen Ripley is the same that I apply to uh, Catherine Tramell. You know, manipulative, yes. But in this instance, in Basic Instinct, what I love about her character is that, and this is what I, you know, it's my opinion, but I think the movie and I think Verhoeven and... You know, we can talk about Joe Esterhaz. Also rhymes with house if you want it to make it that way. You know, not a particularly nice guy, nor is probably Paul Verhoeven. You know, somebody who's a controversial figure, certainly a provocateur uh, as a filmmaker. But I think they are playing with gender norms. And Catherine Trammell displays the characteristics of a normal, powerful man. But she's not a man. She's a femme fatale and she is, yeah, she is the strongest character on screen at all times. And that's something that I deeply respect about the movie and something that gets lost in the background noise of, well, the crossing leg scene. 
Absolutely. That was one of the things that I think blew me away on the rewatch. It wasn't so much, oh, there's a hell of a lot of sex in this movie, because there is a hell of a lot of sex. But I forgot how good she was. And I feel like every other role that she subsequently has had in her career has never matched up to what she does in this movie. And I think you're absolutely right with what you said. She is the smartest person in the room, in every single room that she's ever in. You know, she's in that interrogation room with, I'm going to say six, I think it's six men. And she outsmarts every single one of them. She knows how to flick Michael Douglas's character's switch mm. like immediately. She knows how to get at him. You know, she mentions about, you know, do you want a cigarette? And he's like, oh, I quit. And she's like, well, that's not going to last. And, you know, it's like she just knows who this person is immediately. And it all adds to like this mystique around her and around the the whole, you know, did she kill her boyfriend? Everything that she says, she's so convincing. And I think that's what the interesting thing is, is that if I was a detective, which thank everyone in the UK that I'm not because I think I'd be rubbish. But if I was, I would not be able to say that she wasn't telling the truth because she is completely convincing in her arguments. I just think she's absolutely tremendous in this movie. And it's almost like, you know, that particular scene that obviously we will come to a bit later has just completely overshadowed an absolute powerhouse performance that is literally the greatest thing she's ever done. But again, it's like she's only ever remembered for the the leg crossing. Mm. And that actually makes me a bit mad. Oh, because... I don't know about that, Emma. I, I, would, I would say that she's great in Casino. You know, Casino not being one of Martin Scorsese's best works. You know, for many people, it's it's kind of like a rehash of Goodfellows. But she's the best thing in in casino it's you know she's dialed up to 11 but you're right this is you know when when all things are said and done she'll be remembered for this role and and but this character is also unique in you know this was made in 1992 i'm not sure we've had too many characters that are popped female characters that are popped like Catherine tramell and and when they when they did the sequel i mean the least said the better. It, it luckily, I think people have forgotten, <laughs> so so it won't sully the the legacy of this of the character really. And I think that's one of the things is that that I that I'm attracted to is that for all of the all of the controversies, all the problematic stuff that's that's contained within this film, is that the big takeaway that I have is God, you don't see many. Catherine Trammell's on the big screen and you certainly don't see too many Catherine Trammell's go up against like a big A-lister and you know completely outsmart them I mean I say you're 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 saying you couldn't be a detective I think you could be a detective in 1992 in San Francisco because old Nick Curran (laughs) is he's not the sharpest ice pick in the drawer is he Uh, (laughs) I think he's mostly being led by his other brain. He's afflicted. Uh, yes, in, we in all regards. are. Yeah. <laughs> I do think you're right. Women don't often get roles like this. And if they do, they are very kind of cardboard cut out. 
oh, you're going to be the sexy wife or, you know, the mistress or, you know, that sort of thing. And they're not given any kind of real agency and personality. I just feel like she takes every single line and she kind of adds something else to the way that that line is delivered, whether that's like a little bit of malice or a little bit of intent or a little bit of flirty. You know, she she just has this in her. Mm, I will I will have my my two cents rant about sex and cinema and, and, and generally the kind of the demise of the erotic thriller because I do think there is a place for them. It's not just a, a titillation because if it were, then... Um, are you happy for me to just go on a, a, just a slight tangent about sex sure. in cinema? Yes. I think it's important because <laughs> for those people, for those listeners who are, are likely like, yeah, I've heard of Basic Instinct, and it's that silly sex film with Sharon Stone where she uncrosses her legs and and we see every, you know, it's like Patrick Stewart in Extras. We see everything, but but actually, it's it's more than that. So Orson Welles famously said, "There are only two things that cinema cannot depict honestly which are prayer and sex right so adrian line director of fatal attraction said that any sex scene shown on screen is inherently funny which i do believe in because they always are because it's like two people writhing around you know that you can only make it funnier if you make them on you know have sex on a waterbed so he always made them purposely kind of outlandish so if you ever watch Fatal Attraction, there's a bit where Michael Douglas and Glenn Close have sex and then there's a sink and they turn the tap on. It's ridiculous. But that was his point was like, well, there's no way of making this sexy because sex scenes in movies just inherently aren't going to get you aroused. Maybe some people, but most people will be like, that's not how you do it. So, you, you know, he runs the tap. In this, if it was just sex scenes for sex scenes sake, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't have lasted and it wouldn't have transcended and it wouldn't have been as popular. You know, I always look at like sex scenes as being opportunities to tackle real taboos. So like when the Hayes Code came in in like the 40s and 50s and when it got released, you know, interracial sex was something that, you know, was, was actually banned. You know, you couldn't do it. So a sex scene can do that. It can, it can tackle a taboo. It can make it, kind of normative and something that you just think well that's just normal you know same with same with gay sex basic instincts i think is more than just a sex scene so the there's there's what there's three isn't there so we have the murder at the beginning Mm -hmm. which you know clearly that's just your stinger and i think verhoven's treating that like an action scene if you think about an action movie you know you want a big action film right a big action scene right at the beginning of the movie and then you'll settle into the movie and you'll go, well, okay, I'll give you 30 minutes before the next sex scene. I think that's what he's doing. You know, you have the big murder at the beginning. Obviously, it's also your point of interest. You've got the questionable rough sex slash date rape, which I'm sure we'll talk about with Nick and Beth. And then you've got the big sex scene between Catherine and Nick. And I, do, well, I'm wondering what you thought. Did you fear, you know, I know you don't care about Nick, because you've already said that you weren't you were like, <laughs> I hope Nick Corrin gets out of this one alive. Um, but were you fearing for Michael in that point? I know you might have been looking at the timestamp and saying, well, there's definitely another 45 minutes of movie left. So I don't think he's going to get, you know, quite killed just yet. But but what were your what was your reaction? Because 
Verhoeven shoots it like an action film. You know, you see it from several different angles. It's it's massively choreographed. But I find that whole scene just so loaded with subtext. You know, there's there's power, domination, there's there's gender roles being swapped. And there's also just, you know, Michael Douglas, you know, not to get crude listeners, but he's also just yeah, properly just going for the nipple, which is also quite fun. Yeah, I am also quite silly. I'm not so serious all the time. What did you think, Em, during that scene? So I found that actually quite fascinating because I agree with you in that I think that Verhoeven does kind of film that like an action scene because it's got like that kind of standard action build-up. Mm. You don't just go into an action scene and just get action straight away. There's always like a build-up to the, the big action scene. And obviously, you know, at that point in the movie, you're a little bit like, well, is she the murderer? Is she not the murderer? You know, the movie obviously does its best to put a lot of like red herrings in there. And yeah, I, I do want to talk about the, the scene between him and Beth just on a separate note. But we can do that in a little bit. But I always find sex scenes quite interesting in that usually, and I think this is kind of what you were alluding to earlier, is that usually they're, they feel like they're shot from a male perspective. So like very male gazing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll have a shot of like the beautiful woman, but it will be shot in very much like a male gaze. The woman will give pleasure to the man and is like expected to be pleasuring the man and all of that sort of stuff. And the, and the sex is always, in most movies, kind of aimed more towards the man being the more satisfied party, shall we say. But what I really loved about this is that that is more focused on Catherine and it's Catherine who's calling the shots mm. and it's Catherine who seems to be getting the most pleasure. And and the movie is quite smart, really, because it's like, is she getting sexual pleasure or is she getting pleasure knowing that she could murder this person? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, when she does the little reach and you think she might be reaching for something under the covers. Like you say, when you've got 40 minutes left on a Michael Douglas starring movie, it's highly unlikely that he's going to meet his demise. But the ending, le- the ending leaves that's... it open though, Em, right? You know? Yeah, it it's does. It's a great little, and it's I, a great, I love that. it's a great little hook. I mean, don't get me wrong. His fate is sealed from the moment he meets. You know that he's doomed. Yes. One of the things that I love about a character is that all the normal things that you would associate with a motivation for a femme fatale. So whether that be, you know, a love for another man or money, normally the big motivator, you know, anyone who's ever watched Columbo, I'm a huge Columbo fan. It's always about money. Catherine Trammell is wealthy and doesn't need it. And she says it outright. Like when she has sex with the rock star, it's because he gave her pleasure. It's got nothing to do mm-hmm. with anything else. And I've, again, I find that like very, very interesting because we just don't, there's a nakedness to her motivation, which is that she doesn't have any. And that's the thing that scares everyone around them. You know, I think Verhoeven, this isn't to excuse him because he's, as I say, he's a controversial character. All of his movies, you know, we've just done Robocop and there's there's some problematic stuff in that too. But one of the things he does is he pushes the envelope constantly. So you have to have that discussion. And, and one of the things that in Basic Instinct that you see is, you know, 
what if a female had all the male characteristics that we associate, you know, somebody who is a predator, whose eyes always look forward, who goes after their prey and does, is callous and cold and doesn't really actually care. You know, her relationship with Roxy, I know that that caused a lot of uproar at the time. And I can imagine reading it on the page, but the way that Verhoeven depicts it, she is just another pawn in Catherine's game. That's how I see it anyway. Obviously, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying from my perspective, when I watch the movie, I don't see characters of sexual orientation or gender being demeaned or a kind of misogynistic viewpoint. I see somebody who's trying to push the envelope to make sure that the, the biggest character in the movie, which is Catherine, everyone understands it's her game and we're all just pawns mm. in it. And that's that's how I see it. Yeah. Can I ask, you know, the scene specifically with Catherine, she gets very emotional when Roxy dies mm -hmm. and she alludes to the fact that everyone she gets close to dies and that's why she doesn't want to get close to anyone. Do you feel like that is genuine emotion or do you feel like that's part of her game? I think that's genuine because I'm not sure she... It wasn't part of the plan. I don't think that, that Roxy would. She was, I think she's manipulating her just like she's manipulating everyone. And, you know, we can get into the the Beth doppelganger, red herring misdirection. I think it is misdirection. I think she gets her hooks into you. And then once she does, you are, you know, you're a slave in a way. You will, the way that Douglas kind of falls under her spell and suddenly, you know, the sun just shines through it, like out of her ass. He'll he'll not even entertain the idea that she's actually the killer. And he 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 has such an interesting arc. If you think about it, he's somebody who is similar to Catherine. He's self-serving. He's he's somebody who will fall into the, his own addictions, and he'll he'll not fight against them. But he is trying to fight against them. He's trying to stop smoking. He's trying to stop drinking. And I think that's the relationship with Beth, is that that's conventional relationships. But as soon as Catherine comes along, he gets a, you know, he gets a taste of, of what he's really all about, which is this incredible kind of sexual chemistry. You know, what's he, <laughs> it's one of the funniest lines of the movie. It's like, the of the century or something like that and then in the end he actually succumbs to this idea that you know we'll we'll have little rugrats and we'll you know we'll go away and have happy families and she's like absolutely <laughs> not nick um yeah, you are literally that just seals his face you are part of you know the next book and you are always part of the next book and and that's yeah i just like the the way that 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 comes around at the end obviously it's left at a cliffhanger but i think we all know that um yeah, Nick Curran is not for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> no, and Doug was obviously going to mention the sequel. You did, you did mention it briefly earlier, but I have no intention of watching that. No, I'll be completely honest. No, don't watch it. <laughs> Normally, you know me. I'm, I'm, I'm all for a bit of, you know, a, a good thick slice of, of of trash. But, but genuinely, there's no nutritional value in watching it. It, it, it came too late. It was written. They they don't they don't do anything to advance the character. It, it's cheaply made. It looks cheap. It feels cheap. Everyone in it 
feels ashamed to be in it it's it's best to just kind of leave that in the you know well speaking of Verhoeven in the Robocop remake and the Total Recall remake they never really happened so that's fine <laughs> you just carry on yeah that's harsh can we just briefly talk about the the sex scene between Nick and Beth mm-hmm. because that was the one moment in the movie that made me feel genuinely uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah that Obviously, it was one of those scenes that the TV edit didn't really contain in its fullness. And I just had a genuine discomfort watching it. What was your reading, Em? What did you, what did you think was going on? Like, what what's happening? What's the dynamic between the characters? I'm interested in knowing what you think, because I've got my opinions. But I genuinely <laughs> okay. want to know what you think, because as I say, it's one of the things that we, we don't have on our show, which is a, a kind of female perspective on these things. I mean, the first thing that I picked up on is he's obviously got this this kind of very sexual attraction to this other woman, Catherine Trammell. But he's kind of seeing this girl, Beth, on and off. Mm-hmm. So he's maybe got a bit of pent-up frustration or something. I don't know. I don't even know why I'm trying to, you know, make excuses for this character. But they obviously start getting down to it. And at first, she seems quite into it, but he's obviously quite rough. And it's obviously something that she's not particularly used to because maybe their relationship, we don't obviously see it, but maybe their relationship is, you know, a little bit more vanilla in the bedroom, shall we say. And you can see a moment where Jean Triplehorn just kind of switches and she's just like, no. And, you know, she, she, from memory, she repeats the word no, And he carries on. And obviously at that point, I was like, I don't like this because he's obviously being very forceful. You know, he's at that point ripping her clothes and, you know, bending her over a, I'm going to say it's a table, but I I can't remember very well from memory. But And I only watched it a week ago and I can't remember. But yeah, she basically gets bent over something and and all the time she's, she's saying no. And then she kind of, gets to a point where she seems okay with it. But for me, as as a viewer and as a female viewer, well, no means no. Let's make that perfectly clear. You know, if someone doesn't want something, the first time they say no is, is the time that you stop. I just wonder if the movie is kind of sending a very specific message that mm. I'm not completely comfortable with. That if a girl or, or, or a man, I mean, a man or woman, if they're up for it, but then they're not up for it for whatever reason, that it's okay to continue. And that made me feel very uncomfortable. Mm. And then it's like, she's not okay to continue. She says no, but then, oh, she got into it. So it's okay. I, yeah, I was not particularly happy. I feel like it sends a message to perhaps the kind of young men that you were talking about, the young men who have been brought up on this kind of toxic masculinity and, oh, well, you know, no probably doesn't mean no. It might mean maybe. Mm-hmm. But so if I just carry on, then she'll say yes eventually. And that's that's not right, you no, know. No. And no. I, 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 so I'm curious as to, as to your point of view on it, sort of from a male perspective, but from a female perspective, from my female perspective... I was not happy with that scene. I was not happy with the ending of that scene. You know, when she says, oh, you you were never like that before, all of that. It's fine to want to explore your sexuality and you might want to, I don't know, have some consensual rough sex with your partner. That's absolutely fine. But it has to be consensual. And both parties have to agree to that. And 
she agreed up to a point, then she disagreed, but he carried on anyway. And then she was like, oh, okay, we'll might as well carry on then. No, no, I, I think I think it's it's important to, to preface that I personally think that Paul Verhoeven knows exactly what he's doing. He's a, he's a very smart filmmaker. You know, he's got a, I think he's got a PhD in mathematics and physics. You know, not necessarily equate to a kind of high level of emotional intelligence, but it does mean that he is, you know, he's academic. He's somebody who is able to run the numbers, shall we say. I don't necessarily understand fully, because I'm definitely not smart enough to understand the, the full intent of the scene, but I think he shoots it in a way that is deeply ambiguous. And that is where the problem comes. So we're not entirely sure. And I agree, I felt exactly the same way. We're not sure if it's consensual. We're not sure if it's role-playing. We're not sure if it's a rape. And and, and the, there's definitely a disconnect between Nick and Beth in the sequence. The thing that always draws my eye is in the background, I don't know if you noticed, but there's like a Jane Fonda exercise class going on across the street. If you, you know, I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. you go back and watch the scene again because it is a deeply uncomfortable one. But if you, you know, if you ever catch yourself watching it again have a look in the background done on purpose i don't know exactly what he's trying to drive at i saw it as like the banality of life you know we if you think if you think about as as i was saying that sex scenes for just eroticism on their own they they fall by the wayside if you you know the day the internet comes alive is the day that these movies that just do sex scenes for sex scenes sake cease to be, you know, cease to contain any kind of meaning. This, I think, is really about Nick, not necessarily about Beth, which again makes the scene uncomfortable. You know, he's just had several encounters with, well, several encounters. He's just encountered Catherine that's kind of triggered the old version of himself, you know, and I was saying before about this kind of conventionality. I think that's what the scene is about. You know, Beth represents like a normal structured relationship where he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink. He's a quote unquote, like a good guy. Catherine kind of brings out that, you know, get out Peter Griffin basic instinct in him. Now this, (laughs) you know, this is like kind of low level reading, but this is how I see the scene. But I'm a hundred percent with you because it, it, it really is just an uncomfortable watch. But knowing Verhoeven as I don't, I think it's you know it's 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 on purpose. Yeah, you know, similar. I had a similar reaction reviewing RoboCop recently with the Murphy crucifixion slash execution sequence. And actually, Matt, who's on the show, described it in a way as like a date rape. You know, it was. It was a, a, it was done in a way where there was a humiliation, the way that Murphy gets killed by the gang members, and in a way, I think Verhoeven, and he he is a provocateur, uh, and and that's not to excuse it because I do think it's deeply problematic, and it, it and and rightfully as a disclaimer for anyone who is listening to this who wants to you know. <laughs> heeds my advice or if you are championing the movie to rewatch it you know huge disclaimer be aware there will be sequences that will you know will cause distress and that is definitely one of them yeah 100% agree 
it's probably the most opportune segue we're going to get. So I'm going to use it. So we're going from a very controversial scene to another very controversial scene. But we've obviously talked a little bit about the scene in which Sharon Stone as Catherine Trammell uncrosses her legs. She happens to not be wearing any underwear and the camera is pointed directly at her crotch. And so you see her intimate lady parts, Mm. shall we say. Mm -hmm. It is probably one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history. Mm. And recently, Sharon Stone has actually come out to say that she was wearing underwear originally for the scene and that Verhoeven asked her to take it off because it was white and it was causing a glare on the camera. And she claims that she didn't realise that the camera was at a point where it could see her lady garden. And ultimately, she didn't consent Mm -hmm. to having her private parts shown. And as iconic as that scene is, I feel like knowing that has also made me feel a bit uncomfortable retrospectively Mm. about that scene in particular. Because obviously Verhoeven's basically denied what Stoner said. He claims that she did know that the camera was there, that it would pick up her private area. And obviously there's there's differing accounts of what went down. I feel like, you know, in this scenario, it's more important to believe the woman in the situation when she is a young actress. You know, this is her breakout role. And maybe she genuinely didn't know that this was happening at the time. Mm. And reportedly, she didn't realise until she saw the screening that that had happened. And obviously, what that potentially could do to a, a blossoming career in the film industry. You know, she's already appeared in this movie several times nude, because obviously no body doubles were used in this movie. So she's appeared nude in her breakthrough role. And she's also had her private parts basically shown to millions upon millions of people. It's kind of an interesting thing to discuss, really, when we are talking about such an iconic scene and when something does come out retrospectively that maybe taints that scene. Do you feel like that taints the movie somewhat to to know that maybe she didn't give her full consent at the time? There's such a huge power dynamic in that scene where Catherine Trammell has all of the power in the room, she has all of the intelligence in the room, and... The scene is about so much more than the legs being uncrossed. And yet that's the bit that we focus on. Mm. And is it just something to do with, I don't know, the repressed sexual nature of (laughs) Hollywood cinema and people just aren't used to scenes like that and that's why we focus on it so much? I think, one, it exposes the double standards of just cinema and the way that we respond to the human body you know god forbid you show a p because everyone will lose their mind but hey it's okay if you show a v that that you know that 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 does appear to be still something of a mindset i mean could you imagine if i don't know captain america got his willy out people would go crazy <laughs> you know so there, there's definitely there's definitely something about that. And, you know, that's not me trying to sort of jump on the bandwagon against kind of American conservatism. I think here in Britain, we've also got a little bit of a kind of an issue when it comes down to kind of an openness about sexuality 
about all private parts, about even discussing that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's always slightly taboo. In this situation, can I say neither? I think one, I think it's abhorrent that there was no, that, you know, I believe Sharon Stone, that there was no consent. I would see no reason why she would say that, you know, 20 years removed and and you could you know with, with everything that's going on you know since the rise of the me too movement i think you can absolutely believe that that was a thing that happened in 1992 on a paul verhoeven set you know that's not to demigrate the individual because we don't know the true story so i i will pull the splinter out of my bum and say we don't know what happened but if it were, you know, I believe Sharon Stone and I don't think it was consensual and that is wrong. What I do think though, is that I listened to an interview with Paul Verhoeven. He was talking about how, you know, men uncross their legs, open their legs uh, and then cross them again. So he, his, his point of view was, I'm going to, again, give her male characteristics. She's going to you know, she is the strongest person in in the room at that point. She's manipulating everybody in that interrogation scene. You know, just look at the the fallacy of the interrogation scene itself. I'm not a policeman, but I know that you don't conduct interviews with six, seven people in a room all sat across, you know. It's fiction, it's stylized, but my God, does it work for the scene? And then that doesn't necessarily justify uh, the means. But, it is an iconic shot in cinema. And I do think that you don't know sometimes how these things come about. But, you know, as I say, if it's being parodied in Deadpool 30 years later, then it made an impression. But yeah, I think I think on set, you would like to have thought that somebody would have spoken to the, the actor and said... Are you happy that mm. that you know? And, and, yeah. and, and let's not forget as well. In '92, you know, they are not thinking that 4K restorations will be a thing. But again, it doesn't justify it. You know, it, it, it's wrong on all accounts. But but I guess my point is that the movie is more than just that controversy. But you, a bit like the scene with Beth. If you're coming into it, you need to be aware of it. Yeah, I am. I'm thinking about when we watched Showgirls on our watch along and I'd even forgotten about the second to last scene in Showgirls, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we're not going to get into it, but it's, it's, it, it, it's an absolute buzzkill, right? Like yeah. we were having, su- we were having such a yeah. fun time and I forgot about the second to last scene. I think if you're, if you're a Paul Verhoeven fan, then I think you know what you're getting into. If you don't know what his movies are like, then then it will come as a surprise and it will likely be a barrier to entry. So I think just like with the, the scene with Beth, I think it's important to know that there's ambiguity around it. And if you're comfortable with that, then I think you can still enjoy the ride. If you're not comfortable with it, then quite frankly, you should just leave Basic Instinct on the shelf. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair thing to say because as enjoyable as this movie is and was, the fact it is technically classed as an erotic thriller, I mean, that doesn't mean that it's, you know, especially erotic. No, no, because, I don't think it is. I know, mean, did you, like, genuinely, did you find it to be, you know, 
I don't know where you, you watched it with or if you watched it on your own, but <laughs> I, I don't, watched it I, on my you know, own. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think this would be like, uh, you know, if you're going to a marriage counseling, they would be like, you know what you need to do Saturday night, get a bottle of red wine and get basic instinct on, uh, <laughs> on whatever streaming service you wish. And uh, all things will be resolved. I don't, you know, it's for me, the, the movie strength is not in the eroticism. The movie strength is in, the the way that they you know i i i for example the uh, the who done it of it all is the weakest aspect of the movie i i don't ever mm-hmm. question that it was catherine all along and i don't think necessarily the film is trying to even you know play that game this isn't scream where we've got a multitude of suspects there's a, a small cast of characters it can only really be one of two people Really, and if you you know if you watch the opening sequence, the opening murder, it really can only be Catherine and Beth. And uh, you know, I'm not sure that Beth, is, you know, she's a patsy. She's not. She's being manipulated just like everyone else. I don't think it's well. Okay, we'll say Roxy as well. Okay, one of three, considering the body type, etc. So if you're watching this with a with a Columbo perspective, this is not the movie for you. Um, it is <laughs> is literally a pulp novel premise that is super rote a detective story that is not really about a detective story it's really about two people that have got an addiction one who is you know super in control of it and is able to wield it and the other who is you know fly they don't call him shooter for nothing all right that's what i'm saying now (laughs) (laughs) so there we go just quickly on the Beth front, because the movie does try to frame Beth on several occasions to make you think it could be her. You know, I'm thinking of when she emerges from the staircase and there happens to be a blonde wig and mm. an ice pick found on the stairs and she gets shot and, you know, yeah. Spoilers for a movie that's, yeah. <laughs> that's 30 years old. But the other thing that's really interesting is she's having a conversation like when they leave the station and she basically goes to her car and she's all smiley and happy and Douglas's character basically goes back in. He's re- so he, is, he is absolutely relieved that she's okay with everything. Like, again, <laughs> you know, just the perfect depiction of, like, toxic masculinity. Oh, right, okay, me being an arse, it's okay with you? That's great. Okay, I'll see you later, <laughs> Beth. Take care. I'm, yeah. gl- I'm really <laughs> glad that you're, like, comfortable with me being, you know, super kind of jerky but yeah she makes a look and the camera stays on it so it's like you kind of have this idea that maybe she is like this sweet innocent girl you know she's just mixed up she actually really likes this guy but then you know she has that smile and then as soon as he turns it just it just changes Mm. and the movie does it on purpose it absolutely does it on purpose to make you think that she could be the criminal mastermind there's another there's another one um, when when Ned Ryerson, there's a deep cut from Groundhog Day, who's playing like some pseudo psychiatrist about the book. It's really early on in the movie. Instead of selling insurance, he's selling like, you know, psychological profiles on on serial killers. He says something like, you know, she's using this as an alibi. If it's not her doing the murder and trying to cover her own tracks, then it's someone copycatting. He says something like, you know, if that's the case, then it is someone who is deeply disturbed. Edit point, we cut to Beth, who kind of shoots a look. You know, it's not 
rocket science. It's, it's kind of, you know, movie frame in 101. Yeah. I, again, yeah. But I think the way that Verhoeven shoots it, you could easily make a case for Beth being the, you know, the single white female type who's gone a bit crazy because she fell in love with Catherine and loves Shooter and doesn't want her man to be taken. But I think if you're going down that route, then that's the super reductive theory. <laughs> it's Catherine all along. She's covered her tracks too well. Even if we discount the fact that, you know, dino DNA didn't exist in 1992. Well, I mean, I know we don't really have a great deal of time to go into DNA evidence, <laughs> <laughs> but you know they were using DNA in 1992, so yeah, I mean, yeah. they, but the movie would have been over in five minutes. So it would have been, like... it would have been. And then, um, <laughs> you know, again, this is makes me sound like I'm making excuses for the movie. It's just not about that. Like again, if no. you're into, if you if you watch Zodiac, and you want to watch Zodiac again, but Zodiac with some sexy scenes, the basic instinct isn't for you. It's not. <laughs> The, the the who done it is like the least important thing in the movie it's really about how and why and, and the journey that shooter goes on in fact the only scene that i still have yet to understand and i think it's just verhoven just kind of with american culture and kind of almost with a eurovision slant trying to you know, make some kind of point about the the grotesque nature of these like deep south rubes is the scene in the diner with his partner when he's got his cowboy hat on. He's just been taken away from his line dancing class and they're eating chili and he's talking about foreigners. I, it, it makes no sense whatsoever apart from Verhoeven wants to make a point about Americans looking at foreigners in a disparaging way. It's got nothing to do with the film, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I thought. It was like, oh, he's another racist cop. Yeah. Oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> There's not enough racist cops in the world. Can I champion something, yeah. then, though? Because I've talked about Hitchcock. And one of the things that I love, I absolutely love, is because death, the elevator, when he's, he's, he's in the... He's in the elevator and we know that the yes. killer's on And it stops on at the each floor. floor. Yeah, that, that's really That is good. just, that is just, you know, if you want to see a sequence, if you're not going to watch Basic Instinct in its totality, just watch that sequence for that is how you ratchet up tension, keep suspense to its optimum and then deliver. You know, when when the killer, whoever it may be, you decide. Comes out, spoilers, there is a killer, by the way. Yeah, that is just masterful stuff because every time I watch that sequence, I'm just like, I I, I know what's going to happen, but it gets me every time. So that that to me is like, you know, for all of his uh, foibles, uh, Verhoeven knows how to construct an effective sequence for sure. And also, by the way, deep, you know, Keanu obligatory reference, Jan de Bon. Yeah, do you reckon this was yeah. this was his this was his like dry run for speed? You know, that's a hell of a car chase on the cliffs of San Francisco. No, I mean this is a beautiful looking movie. Obviously, speed, but also Basic Instinct. It, it some of the shots in this movie are absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And then it's like you realize it's Yander Bont, and you're like, I can kind of see that. Yeah, and obviously a couple of years later, 
he would uh, he would do speed with Keanu. So I mean that's that's a pretty perfect obligatory Keanu. He knows how to do a car chase. He knows how to do weather chasing people. Yes. He Mm. can't do haunted houses. This has been a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that you chose Basic Instinct, not just because it's something that I would probably never do, but because you obviously have so much passion for it. But also, you know, you clearly know what you're talking about. Have I turned turned you around, Em? Are you like, you know what? (laughs) Basic Instinct, it's not problematic at all. No, there's... It it, it is super problematic. Um, But but I don't think it is... there is more to it than just the controversies that surround it. I, I saw some contemporary yeah. reviews that basically dismissed it as like, it hasn't aged well. I was like, well, you know, God forbid you film something in a bubble. Like, of course it hasn't aged well, nor has, you know, the Goonies. Yeah, there are lots of stuff that hasn't aged well, but there is there is value to be mined and, and there's value in Basic Instinct, in my opinion. Oh, Absolutely. And to be honest, most of that value comes from Sharon Stone and, and just how incredible she is. But I'm I'm just really pleased that we've been able to have like a conversation about it from, you know, very different perspectives. You know, you being a man and me being a woman. Mm. We are very different. And yet we are the same. We are the same. Uh, <laughs> just a huge thank you for coming on and for choosing Basic Instinct is basically the roundabout way that I'm, I'm getting to. And I mean, hopefully people who are listening, they've got something out of this conversation. I know I've got something out of this conversation. And that's basically, you know, why I love listening to the Rewind Movie podcast is I feel like I always get something out of the conversation that you guys have. So yeah, huge thanks for coming on. Obviously, feel free to plug whatever you want to plug. Ah. Uh, and where, where can listeners find you and find what you do? Oh, thank you very much, Ab. Well, listen, firstly, thanks for having me. I hope that this has been enjoyable for you and listeners. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. And thank you very much for kind of giving me your perspectives as well, because as I say, sometimes you can live in your own vacuum, can't you? And I'm just there writing my thoughts about a movie that quite frankly, no one wants to have a conversation with me about. So lovely that you would allow me to do that we are uh, we've got a website we we're at the rewindmoviecast.com yeah slight anomaly there because we're called the rewind movie podcast but you know wasn't the most original name when we came up with it but i believe we're the the top google search if you type rewind but you will get like a hundred other rewinds but our logo is very distinctive right em um we yeah and and we we cover basic instinct if you want to hear my thoughts and my my gang's thoughts on basic instinct over two hours that's essentially the length of the movie that's episode 30 and we also do our own individual art so if you want to purchase one of our portraits or are interested in our blogs we do our own writing it's all non-for-profit we don't make any money off any of this despite being badgered by people to turn on the monetization we don't do any of that kind of stuff so no thank you very much em for having us and and yeah i hope that this is the start of a new sexy wave of diorama maybe i should rebrand as like i don't know verbal sexual drama or something like yeah. that you know do the the adult side can i can i rec- <laughs> can i recommend for for your movies can i recommend for your listeners if you I said this is a gateway into the erotic thrillers. If you want a, a, a just a genuine crazy time, go watch Bruce Willis's Color of Night. 
it forms part of the erotic thriller oeuvre. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. So, yeah, we've covered it on the show. This is not a please listen to that episode either. This is a genuine appeal. Watch Basic Instinct. That will be like, ooh, well, this is actually an interesting genre. Then watch Color of Night. It'll, I guarantee it'll be the funniest film you've seen this year. 100%. And you get to see Bruce Willis's penis. So, <laughs> And who doesn't want to see some Bruce Willis, Willie. Yeah, well, you, you almost went in there with Willis. It's Willie. Take away <laughs> Do you know bits. what? I was going to go Bruce Willis dong. And I was like, well, no, because my brain was like, no, it's in the name. It's in the name. Yeah, it's, no. it's, they don't, uh, the old phrase, they don't make films like that anymore. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. I don't know how important to me the idea of seeing Bruce Willis's man parts. Well, you see, You'll notice as well. You see it in Pulp the, um... Fiction, but in Colour of Night, like... <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you do. You, you see, like, it's not just hidden behind a, you know, a kind of shower glass. It's it's there, looking at you, winking. Okay. So it's lovely. <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> nowhere good. I'm going to keep all this in the episode, yeah, by the way. Good. None nowhere of this, good. None of this is getting cut. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Em. I really appreciate oh, thank it. thank you so much. And, uh, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show. Make yes. keep it sexy. That's a yeah. That's the, has, that's the <laughs> keep hashtag. <it> sexy. <laughs> thank you again to Gally for joining me for this episode on Basic Instinct, and thank you for listening too. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Basic Instinct. And if you do want to support this podcast without paying a single penny, you can help this podcast reach more listeners by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or wherever you found this podcast. You can retweet or like post on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. Or you can simply tell your friends and family about this podcast. So I want to talk about the next episode just quickly. It is the second episode of August and it's going to be the only returning guest for this season. And this is a man who loves the year 1999 so much that all of his guest spots so far, there have been two previous ones, have been on movies that came out in the year 1999. And this one is no exception. This episode on Basic Instinct was my first erotic thriller. And the next episode, would you believe it, is going to be my first Kevin Smith movie on Verbal Diorama. And not only that, my favourite Kevin Smith movie. You people, if there isn't a movie about it, it's not worth knowing, is it? So the returning guest is Andy from Geek Salad, of course, and the movie is Dogma. A controversial movie at the time, but one with a very simple message. It's not about who's right or wrong. No denominations nailed it yet, because they're all too self-righteous to realise that it doesn't matter what you have faith in, just that you have faith. Your hearts are in the right place, but your brain's got to wake up. So join me next week with returning guest Andy from Geek Salad as we talk about dogma. So if you're interested in supporting this podcast financially, you can join the Patreon. You will get things like access to the schedule, early episodes, freebies, as well as this episode particularly. There are three swears in this episode that I've had to bleep out for regular listeners, but patrons, they get those swears. So Verbal Diorama Patreon episodes aren't just early, they are also expletive, but the main feed will always remain family-friendly and suitable for all ages. So if you're interested, it's verbaldiorama.com Patreon. 
Thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama, to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Jason, Sunny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete and Heather. What are you going to do? Charge me with having patrons? We also have a merch store, it's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me by emailing verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also pop over to my website, verbaldiorama.com and you can also find me at filmstories.co.uk. You can find articles that I write and my magazine column as well. And finally... Tell me, Nikki, were you frightened last night? That's the point, wasn't it? That's what made it so good. You shouldn't play this game. Why not? I like it. You're in over your head. Maybe. But this is how I'll catch my killer. Not gonna confess all my secrets, Nick, just because I have an orgasm. You won't learn anything I don't want you to know. Yes, I will. And I'll nail you. Nah. You'll just fall in love with me. I'm in love with you already. anyway you can put that in your book Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one, trailer two. Final trailer? I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need exactly? Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All That's right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. That's right, I am. My, my trans yeah, has no power over me. me. <laughs> <laughs>